We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go, episode 302 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Thursday, April 28th, 2022. It is the day of the first round of the 2022 NFL Draft. We finally, mercifully, have arrived at the day of the first round of the 2022 NFL Draft. The NFL Draft has become one of the most looked forward to things in sports that isn't a game or a series. You know, something that is an off-season thing has become so much of a thing. The growth of the NFL Draft, the popularity of the NFL Draft really is a credit to the NFL. But yes, the mock drafts, the speculation, the wondering, the reports, the rumors, all of that is coming to an end. And the real thing, the actual NFL draft is about to happen. Uh, For the record, my prediction is that our commanders with their number 11 overall pick in this 2022 draft will take Kyle Hamilton, the safety at a Notre Dame. But who the heck knows, okay? The official Goldie prediction is Kyle Hamilton, but who the heck knows? That is the fun of the NFL draft. Uh, Coming up on the show, I will present to you my final thoughts on the Commander's Draft. Uh, Speak now or forever hold your peace. I will speak now and then I will forever hold my peace. Uh, You know, we on Wednesday had a report of the Commanders being interested in one of the quarterbacks in the 2022 draft. I will address that report and a lot more. Uh, Also on the show, a very special guest to talk Commander's Draft, Carson Wentz, and a lot more. Brian Burke of ESPN Analytics. Uh, Brian Burke is a football analytics pioneer. He is a man who broke ground years ago on things that today are commonplace. But Brian Burke, maybe more than anyone, is responsible for the analytics boom in the NFL. Uh, And Brian has helped to develop something called the ESPN Draft Day Predictor. So we'll talk Commander's Draft. We'll talk NFL draft theory. 
Uh, Brian has helped to develop ESPN's total QBR stat. So we'll talk about Carson Wentz for the 2021 regular season, having ranked ninth among all qualified NFL quarterbacks in total QBR. Uh, Brian created ESPN's win rate metrics. So we'll talk about Washington's offensive line for the 2021 regular season, having rated so well in ESPN's team pass block and team run block win rates. Uh, Trust me, if you are a Commanders fan, you do not want to miss Brian Burke, who is a local, by the way. Uh, And next segment, I will react to the Commanders news of Wednesday. Uh, The Commanders on Wednesday officially exercising the fifth-year option in the rookie contract of edge defender Montez Sweat. I'm actually going to speak some truth about Montez Sweat's 2021 season, it actually wasn't as bad as you may think that it was. Uh, The Nationals, unfortunately, are bad. Really bad. Uh, Seven consecutive losses now for the Nats. A 2-1 loss to the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park on Wednesday night. More bad hitting for the Nats, uh, despite a notable lineup change by Nats manager Davey Martinez. I'll talk Nats later in the show. And I'll talk Orioles. Uh, They too lost on Wednesday night, a 5-2 loss at the New York Yankees. But there were two significant positives for the O's. DH Anthony Santander and starting pitcher Tyler Wells. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Robin on something that I talked about on Wednesday's show, episode 301, that the commanders per team insider Ben Standing of The Athletic are not expected to offer interior defensive lineman Deron Payne a contract extension this offseason, and thus, in my opinion, should trade Payne this offseason. Writes Robin, hello, sir. Enjoying the 300th episode right now. Hope we'll all be around for the 30,000th episode. Uh, Thank you, Robin. I'm not sure about 30,000, but we'll see. Continues, Robin. Uh, Regarding the Durs (laughs) not being expected to extend pain, puzzling after letting both Tim Settle and Matt Ioannidis walk. So we went from can't afford to pay four quality interior D linemen to can't keep two. Makes me wonder if the beef between Payne and Jonathan Allen is as settled, see what I did there, as we thought it was, and if it's going to play a part in this decision. Uh, Well done, Robin. Well done. Yeah, so I on Wednesday's show brought up that incident between Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen last season. Uh, The scuffle, the tussle on the Washington sideline uh, during the scrimmage at the Dallas Cowboys the night after Christmas. Uh, I get that Payne and Allen have been teammates for years going back to their time at Alabama. And I get that teammates have disagreements, even fights. But, you know, to me, what happened between Payne and Allen this past December 26th was not something that we've seen much of over the years, okay? A physical altercation between two Washington players on the sideline during a game, okay? That was ugly. I mean, that reeked of a team coming apart at the seams in the midst of an embarrassing loss on national television. And while I don't think that it's necessarily the case that Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen hate each other, uh, I don't think that it's at all unreasonable to wonder whether there were or are underlying problems between the two uh, and or underlying problems on Washington's defense. 
You know, this whole tough guy thing of, uh, you know, they fought, get over it, move on. You know, they're fine. Like, maybe they're fine, but, you know, maybe they're not. Because, again, you tell me, how many times have you seen two Washington players or two teammates on any other team fighting on the sideline during a game? That doesn't happen. And so when that does happen, I don't think you're wrong to ask questions. Remember this, too. Deron Payne's father sounded off on Instagram in responses to a variety of people. Uh, Among the things that Papa Payne said this past December on the gram, let me see how many sacks you can get being double, as in being double teamed. Get a effing QB. I like that one. Uh, If you call a man a female, Payne should have knocked Allen out. Why you don't blame Allen, do you know what he called my son? So, no doubt, uh, all of that was a dad sticking up for his son. I totally respect that. That's fine. But it's not unreasonable to wonder whether there were or are problems behind the scenes. And maybe there were slash are zero problems behind the scenes. But then again, maybe not. Uh, Email from Stephen Robertson on the Nationals and the Orioles. Right, Stephen? Congrats on the 300 podcasts, Mark. Based on the season so far for the Orioles and Nationals, both teams are bad. Even though they are bad, I think the Orioles have the better upside based on their pitching, which has been surprisingly decent, and their farm system. It seems like the Nationals have not fully embraced the role of the rebuilding team. Their floor seems lower than the Orioles' floor. Wonder, what do you think? Uh, Well, thank you for the email, Stephen. Yeah, I mean, each team is a rebuilding team. The O's clearly are further along in their rebuild than the Nats are in their rebuild. But I agree with you. There are signs at times that the Nats aren't exactly fully embracing the rebuild. Uh, As far as upside for this season, I mean, take your pick. I don't think that either team is good, like you said. Whichever team ends up being better uh, won't be better by much. Uh, Neither team has been good offensively so far this season. I do expect that to change for both teams. I think that both the Nats and the O's have enough good hitters to be at least decent offensively. The pitching, as you said, may be the thing. Now, neither team is truly good in terms of its pitching. At least, I don't think that uh, either team is going to end up being good in terms of its pitching. But the Orioles' starting pitching has been a pleasant surprise so far. And the O's do have the number one pitching prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline in Grayson Rodriguez. And assuming that Rodriguez gets called up to the majors at some point this season, Uh, he could end up making it so that the Orioles starting pitching is better than the Nats starting pitching this season. Uh, Although remember, the Nats have a very highly touted pitching prospect in Cade Cavalli. But whereas Cavalli has had problems pitching for AAA Rochester so far, Rodriguez has been lights out for AAA Norfolk so far this season. Four starts, an ERA of 245, a whip of 0.76, a strikeouts per nine innings of 13.7. That is outstanding work. Just like the work of the law firm of Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a 
Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. It's very simple. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you or someone you love is dealing with injury through no fault of your own or his or her own, call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611 and tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. Chris Nace and Matt Nace are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses whose practices or products are directly related to the root of your injury. Paulson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who caused the client's harm more than the offers benefit the clients. Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial, and Paulson and Nace wins trials. Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families in the future. Again, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202 902- 902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. All right, before we get to talking Commander's Draft is the 2022 NFL Draft uh, now is here. I do want to address the Commander's News from Wednesday. Uh, the Commanders on Wednesday afternoon announced that they have exercised the fifth-year option in the rookie contract of edge defender Montez Sweat. Uh, no surprise, we knew that this was coming. It had been reported that this was coming. And this was a total no-brainer. Montez Sweat absolutely is worthy of having the fifth-year option in his rookie contract being exercised. Uh, Sweat's fifth-year option is for the 2023 season, uh, not for this coming season, but for the 2023 season. The option is for $10.9 million. Uh, The Redskins took Montez Sweat with the number 26 pick in the 2019 NFL draft out of Mississippi State. And remember how and why the Skins got sweat. Uh, The Skins traded their 2019 and 2020 second round picks to the Indianapolis Colts to get back into the first round of the 2019 draft to take sweat. And the Skins did this to placate their football people who were furious over the owner of the team, Dan Snyder, having ordered the selection of quarterback Dwayne Haskins with the Skins' number 15 overall pick in that 2019 draft. So not to reopen an old wound, but imagine if the Skins had just taken Sweat at number 15 in the 2019 draft, or even had traded down to take Sweat later in the first round of the 2019 draft. Uh, The Skins could have had Sweat, 
still could have had their 2019 and 2020 second round picks, you know? Dan's meddling has had many consequences beyond just the obvious consequences. There are domino effects from Dan's meddling. But anyway, I wanted to highlight something with Montez Sweat, and that is that his 2021 season was better than you may think. Now, look, there's no doubt that Montez Sweat and fellow Washington edge defender Chase Young had disappointing 2021 seasons. Uh, Never forget, Sweat at his post-training camp practice press conference last August 10th said that he wanted himself and Chase Young to break the record for most combined sacks in a season by two teammates in franchise history or even NFL history. Quote, I personally want to go get the combined sack record that the guys got back before us. And quote, uh, the official NFL record for most combined sacks by two teammates in an NFL regular season is Chris Dolman and Keith Millard combining for 39 sacks for the 1989 Minnesota Vikings. Uh, Dolman had 21 sacks. Millard had 18 sacks. The record for most combined sacks by two Washington teammates in an NFL regular season is Dexter Manley and Charles Mann combining for 29 and a half sacks for the 1985 Redskins. Dexter had 15 sacks. Charles had 14 and a half sacks. Uh, Well, Montez Sweat and Chase Young in the 2021 regular season combined for six and a half sacks. Uh, Yeah, so not quite a record-setting season. Uh, Also, Montez Sweat and Chase Young were publicly called out by Ron Rivera for not being more productive during the 2021 regular season. Uh, Ron, in a piece that came out last November 4th on the then Washington football team's official website, said regarding Montez Sweat and Chase Young, quote, we would like to see a little bit more from those guys. They need to stop pressing and trust their teammates, end quote. Uh, This piece was written by Michael Silver, and that's significant because Ron Rivera and Michael Silver are pals. Uh, They went to Cal together. Their relationship per Michael was why Michael last July took a job working for the then Washington football team. So Ron pretty clearly used that piece on the team's official website to call out Sweat and Young, who pretty clearly were two of the bigger culprits who Ron referred to multiple times during the 2021 regular season as not always playing the defensive scheme as it was intended to be played. And there's this. Uh, Washington's defense played its best football in the 2021 regular season while both Montez Sweat and Chase Young were out. This was one of the more peculiar and undeniable aspects of Washington's 2021 season. Washington's defense played really well during a five-game stretch that spanned from Week 10 through Week 14. Uh, That five-game stretch included a four-game winning streak. Uh, Montez Sweat missed all of those games. Chase Young missed all but about a half of one of those games as he suffered his season-ending torn right ACL in the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in Week 10. So I'm not here to tell you that Montez Sweat and Chase Young were not disappointments last season. Sweat and Young were disappointments last season. But the truth is that Young was more of a disappointment than Sweat was. There's a tendency to group the two guys together, and I get that. But Sweat in the 2021 regular season was more productive than you may think. Uh, Montez Sweat in the 2021 
regular season played in just 10 games. Uh, Sweat missed five consecutive games, weeks 10 through 14, due to being on the reserve injured list due to a fractured jaw that he suffered in the loss at the Denver Broncos in week eight, and then being on the reserve COVID-19 list. Uh, Sweat then was inactive for Washington's final two games of the 2021 regular season due to the shooting death of his brother, Anthony Sweat, last December 28th. And yet, Montez Sweat, over his 10 games in the 2021 regular season, had five sacks, which ranked number two on Washington. Sweat, over his 10 games in the 2021 regular season, had 24 pressures per sport radar. Uh, That ranked number three on Washington. And Sweat was number one on Washington with an average of 2.4 pressures per game. Uh, Sweat over his 10 games in the 2021 regular season had 13 quarterback hits, which ranked number three on Washington. Sweat over his 10 games in the 2021 regular season had three forced fumbles, which ranked number one on Washington. Uh, Sweat's overall grade for pro football focus for the 2021 regular season was 75.6. That's not great, but that's also not awful. But do the compare and contrast. Montez Sweat versus Chase Young. Montez Sweat over his 10 games in the 2021 regular season had five sacks. Chase Young over his nine games in the 2021 regular season had just one and a half sacks. Montez Sweat over his 10 games in the 2021 regular season per Sport Radar had 24 pressures. Chase Young over his nine games in the 2021 regular season per Sport Radar had just 13 pressures. Uh, Sacks and pressures aren't everything, but it stands out to me that Montez Sweat in the 2021 regular season more than tripled Chase Young's sack total for the 2021 regular season and nearly doubled Young's total of pressures per sport radar in the 2021 regular season. And Sweat did this in playing in just one more game than Young played in So just understand that while, yes, Montez Sweat did not have the 2021 season that we all wanted him to have, his 2021 season was not the same as Chase Young's 2021 season. But bottom line, the commanders in the 2022 season need both Montez Sweat and Chase Young to be great. You know, each guy was really good in the 2020 season. Each guy needs to be really good in the 2022 season. Well, it turns out that the image of Montez Sweat's 2021 season could use some work. And you know what Sweat should do? He should call ImageWorks, and you should too, if you own, run, or work at a business that you want to make even better. Nothing will be better for your business than working with ImageWorks. Grow your business, better market your business, and more effectively reach customers by working with ImageWorks. ImageWorks is a full-service boutique web design branding and marketing company. And ImageWorks right now has a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a free review of your website. Yeah, ImageWorks will tell you how your website can be even better, free of charge. You have nothing to lose. Take advantage of this free offer. Go to imageworkscreative.com, click on contact near the upper right corner, and make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast For the free offer, that's imageworkscreative.com. Image, one word, works, plural, creative.com. Imageworkscreative.com. Click on contact near the upper right corner and make sure that you mention 
the Al Galdi podcast for the free offer. Uh, also, you can call or text the owner of ImageWorks, Scott, at 703-928-7309. That's 703-928-7309. Just make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast for that free review of your website. Uh, ImageWorks will take your business to the next level and make you more money. ImageWorks is located in the DMV, but can work with a business anywhere in the country. Just go to imageworkscreative.com, click on contact near the upper right corner, and make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast for a free review of your website. ImageWorks, creative minds focused on one goal, your business success. All right, Thursday night is the night, the night of the first round of the 2022 NFL Draft, which this year is taking place in Las Vegas. Your NFL Draft schedule is as follows. Uh, Thursday night, round one, beginning at 8 Eastern. Friday night, rounds two and three, beginning at 7 Eastern. And Saturday, rounds four through seven, beginning at noon Eastern. Uh, Our commanders for now have six picks in the 2022 draft. Uh, Note this, the six picks are set to be the team's fewest selections in an NFL draft since the 2010 draft, in which the Redskins made just six picks. Uh, I do not expect the commanders to make just six picks in the 2022 draft. I do believe that trades are coming. Uh, We pretty much always get trades involving our team on day threes of NFL drafts. I do wonder if we might get a trade on day one or two of this 2022 draft. Uh, So the commander's six picks in the 2022 draft are as follows. Uh, A first round pick, pick number 11 overall. A second round pick, pick number 47 overall. A fourth round pick, pick number 113 overall. A sixth round pick, pick number 189 overall, and two seventh-round picks, picks numbers 230 and 240 overall. So the Commanders do have two of the top 50 picks in the draft, but the Commanders also have just two of the top 110 picks in the draft. Uh, We, on Monday afternoon, had a pre-draft press conference at Commanders headquarters at the Command Center of the Commanders in Ashburn, Virginia. Uh, Speaking at the presser were head coach Ron Rivera and general manager Martin Mayhew. Uh, Mayhew doesn't usually give us much, but he did give us this. He said that a particular strength of the 2022 draft is its middle rounds. Take a listen. There are going to be a lot of really good players, we think, in the middle middle drafts, in in the middle rounds for, you know, the second third, fourth, fifth, they're going to be starters, I think, going into the third and fourth round here in this draft. Um, And so, you know, there's there's opportunity for us there. Um, You know, we have six picks now. I I doubt we'll end this draft with those same six picks. I I believe there'll be some movement, uh, whether up and back, up or back in those rounds, uh, in those middle rounds. So um, there's just a lot of really good, talented players in that middle that haven't been there in the past. And I think there are a couple different things that have been factors with that happening. Uh, One is the COVID year. A lot of guys came back to school uh, and played one more year. Um, And two, I think, is the NILs where some guys are now, um, you know, staying in longer. But then, you know, guys are coming out now who would have come out last year but didn't. So uh, there are a lot. It's a lot deeper draft, I think, this year. So. 
Martin Mayhew right there. Quote, we have six picks now. I doubt we'll end this draft with those same six picks. I believe there will be some movement. End quote. Uh, I would say that it's a safe bet that a trade or perhaps multiple trades are coming for the commanders in the 2022 draft. I would not have a problem with the commanders trading down in the first round. Now, obviously, doing so requires a trade partner. In order for you to move down, someone else needs to want to move up. But the number 11 pick is high enough to where it could garner a nice haul. Remember what happened with the Chicago Bears last year. I said, remember what happened with the Chicago Bears last year. The Bears. The Bears. Yes, the Bears. Remember the Bears and what happened with them in the 2021 draft. The Bears in the 2021 draft traded up from the number 20 overall pick to the number 11 overall pick to take Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields. So the Bears traded with the New York Giants. Uh, The Giants, for their number 11 overall pick in the 2021 draft, got back two first-round picks, a fourth-round pick, and a fifth-round pick. Uh, The Bears gave up their 2021 and 2022 first-round picks, a 2022 fourth-round pick, and a 2021 fifth-round pick to the Giants for their number 11 overall pick in the 2021 draft. Now, the Giants got back that nice hole because the Bears wanted a quarterback. Well, what if a team wants a quarterback who is available at 11? What if the Liberty quarterback, Malik Willis, falls to 11? Uh, I do think that it's possible that the Commanders could get a nice haul for that number 11 overall pick. Now, given the state of the quarterback class in this draft, I'm not sure if any quarterback other than Willis could compel a team to want to make a trade up in the draft, but I could see Willis doing that, especially when you consider that there are multiple quarterback needy teams behind the commanders in the draft. Uh, Of course, you could argue that our commanders are a quarterback needy team. Uh, I would argue that our commanders are a quarterback needy team. And I don't just mean that they need a quarterback in like the sixth round, okay? I know that it's very unlikely that the commanders will take a quarterback with their number 11 overall pick in this 2022 draft. And I'm not saying that they necessarily have to take a quarterback with their number 11 overall pick in this 2022 draft, because it may well be that this quarterback class is bad and none of these guys will pan out. And the commanders just don't like the quarterbacks in this draft. But I also know and believe a few things. Uh, A, as optimistic as the commanders may be about Carson Wentz as their QB1, he is far from a sure thing, okay? Even if you are a raging Carson Wentz optimist, you still have to admit he is far from a sure thing. Uh, B, until you as a franchise quarterback needy team have a franchise quarterback, you should constantly be searching and trying to acquire a franchise quarterback. Uh, C, the presence of Carson Wentz and this fear that, you know, he'll freak out if the commanders take a quarterback on day one or day two of this 2022 draft should have zero impact on whether the commanders take a quarterback on day one or day two of this 2022 draft. This isn't about Carson Wentz's feelings, okay? Uh, Maybe he needs to stop being in his feelings so much. D, 
that this quarterback class in the 2022 draft isn't well regarded actually provides opportunity for the commanders because that this quarterback class in the 2022 draft isn't well regarded provides the chance for even the draft's QB1, who I think is Malik Willis, could fall out of the top 10. And E, and yes, there is an E, E, while Malik Willis is far from a certainty as an NFL quarterback, he does provide major upside to where if he is a hit as an NFL quarterback, he could hit spectacularly. So for the record, I would not have a problem with the commanders taking a quarterback with their number 11 overall pick in this 2022 draft. And I hope that the commanders have been open to taking a quarterback with their number 11 overall pick in this 2022 draft. I would applaud the commanders for being bold and aggressive and for unapologetically attacking, trying to get a franchise quarterback were they to take a quarterback with their number 11 overall pick in this 2022 draft. Uh, But yes, I recognize that the commanders just may not like any of these quarterbacks in the 2022 draft all that much. And to that, I would say, fine, uh, you just better be right. Uh, By the way, did you see what ESPN NFL insider Jeremy Fowler reported on Wednesday? Uh, Quote, Washington hasn't been linked to draft eligible quarterbacks much since trading for Carson Wentz before free agency, but the word heading into draft weekend is the commanders have done a lot of research on Ole Miss's Matt Corral. Researching his background from high school to college, Washington could be looking for quarterback help on day two of the draft. The Saints and Panthers also have done much homework on Corral. Some coaches were underwhelmed with his presence in team interviews, but many are high on his quick release and natural throwing ability, end quote. Interesting, right? Uh, Could it be, might it be, that the commanders will take Matt Corral with, say, their second round pick in the 2022 draft? Uh, Matt Corral played in an offense at Ole Miss that made heavy usage of run-pass options, of RPOs, and There's a feeling that he's one of the trickier quarterbacks in this draft to evaluate because NFL teams only use RPOs so much. Although, like a lot of offensive concepts in college football, I do think that the NFL could make even more usage of RPOs. But I get it. The RPO is a simple concept for a quarterback. You can only go simple so much in the NFL. Uh, Also, Matt Corral did deal with multiple ankle injuries during his 2021 season, including being carted off the field in the first quarter of his final collegiate game. Ole Miss's 21-7 loss to Baylor in the Sugar Bowl this past January 1st. Uh, Corral suffered what ended up being a high ankle sprain of his right ankle. But Matt Corral has a significant sample size of collegiate success. You know, unlike, say, Pitts Kenny Pickett, who had just one collegiate season of greatness, or Malik Willis, who had his collegiate success while playing at Liberty. Matt Corral, over his two full seasons as Ole Miss's starting quarterback, put up big numbers in the toughest conference in the country, the SEC. Uh, Corral, in his 2020 redshirt sophomore season, had a yards per pass attempt of 10.24 and a completion percentage of 70.9 and ranked number three among all qualified quarterbacks in the FBS and total QBR per ESPN at 89.9. 
Corral in his 2021 Redshirt Junior season had a yards per pass attempt of 8.71 and a completion percentage of 67.9 and ranked number 10 among all qualified quarterbacks in the FBS in total QBR per ESPN at 80.5. Matt Corral has arm strength. Uh, The two quarterbacks with the strongest arms in the 2022 draft are Malik Willis and the Nevada quarterback Carson Strong, but you could make the case that Corral is number three in arm strength among quarterbacks in the 2022 draft. And Matt Corral can run. He was a significant run threat at Ole Miss. Corral in 23 games over his two full seasons as Ole Miss's starting quarterback totaled 1,120 rushing yards in 15 rushing touchdowns. Uh, So yeah, I am open to Matt Corral for the commanders. They wouldn't take him in the first round, but they could take him in the second round. Uh, I want the commanders to take the best players available. Uh, We've been talking about this, best player available versus drafting for need. The commanders have, quote, needs, end quote, everywhere. The commanders should just be taking the best players available with positional value factored in. So you don't take the best long snapper over the second best receiver, okay? That kind of a thing. And by the way, speaking of long snapper, please, pretty please, with a cherry on top, uh, let's not trade for a pick to be used on a long snapper in this year's draft, okay? Thank you. Uh, But there are a number of players at 11 who could be the best player available for the commanders. Uh, I'm open to any of these well-regarded receivers. I'm open to the Notre Dame safety, Kyle Hamilton. I'm open to the LSU corner, Derek Stigley Jr., although I do have concerns with him. Uh, I'm open to an offensive tackle. I'm open to a defensive lineman. Uh, We did have an at least somewhat surprising report from Commander's Insider Ben Standing of The Athletic on April 20th that the Commanders were expected to travel for a meeting with Georgia edge defender Trayvon Walker. So I'm open to a lot of players for the Commanders at 11. Now, I'm open to some of these players more than I am open to other players, but I am in no way dead set on the Commanders having to address one position or having to address only one out of a few positions with that number 11 overall pick. This was Martin Mayhew on Monday afternoon on drafting for need versus drafting the best player available. Yeah, well, um, you know, I think it's it's sort of a sliding scale a lot of times. You know, if you look at, you know, early in the draft uh, where you really have to be right, have to be 100 percent right. Um, you really want to take the best player you can take for the most part. Um, need comes into play, obviously, but you, I think you lean more toward best player. Later in the draft, you're trying to fill needs. You get in the sixth or seventh round. You don't have enough of a certain position or whatever. You're more likely to tilt it a little bit more toward toward need. Um, so um, it, it's a sliding scale, um, and I think each situation is a little bit different. Uh, you know, for us, you know, we're going to make the best the best decision for us as an organization in all those picks this year. Yeah, I thought that that was an interesting way of looking at things from Martin Mayhew. Uh, Here is what needs to happen more than anything on Thursday night. The commanders need to get their first round pick right. The truth is that they may have gotten their first round pick wrong last year in taking linebacker Jamin Davis with that number 19 overall pick in the 2021 draft. I mean, Jamin Davis late in his rookie NFL season took a backseat to David Mayo, okay? That was not encouraging. 
Now, maybe Jamin ultimately works out for the Commanders. Hopefully he will. I'm certainly not giving up on Jamin, but there are reasons to be concerned. Ron Rivera, Martin Mayhew, and the Commanders front office on Thursday night need to come through with a pick that ends up working out. This team cannot afford to potentially whiff on back-to-back first-round picks. The good news is that there are a lot of talented and intriguing and promising players who will be available to the Commanders at 11. Up next, our special guest, Brian Burke of ESPN Analytics. Uh, Brian is the originator and developer of so many of the advanced stats that now are widely accepted in NFL conversation. Uh, Brian also has helped to come up with ESPN's Draft Day Predictor Tool. Uh, We will talk Commander's Draft. We will talk NFL Draft Theory. We will talk Carson Wentz. We will talk about Washington's offensive line for the 2021 regular season, having rated it very well via ESPN's team pass block and team run block win rates, which are things that Brian Burke came up with. And we'll discuss much more. Brian is great. Listening to him will make you smarter as a Commanders fan. I promise you that. And you'll hear my conversation with Brian after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do not forget to give the Al Galdi podcast a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Don't forget to write a brief one or two-sentence review on Apple Podcasts saying how much that you like the podcast. And thank you very much for doing those things. The 2022 NFL Draft is this week. Big week for us as Commanders fans. The 2022 Draft will take place Thursday night through Saturday in Las Vegas. Our Commanders have the number 11 overall pick. So we, of course, have spent months discussing what might happen with that pick and what should happen with that pick. But what about something that can tell us what will happen with that pick? Uh, One of the really cool things out there is ESPN's Draft Day Predictor, which you can access by going to ESPNSportsAnalytics.com as the Draft Day Predictor for the first time is a publicly available tool. Uh, The Draft Day Predictor gives you percent chances of a number of top prospects in the 2022 draft being available at various spots and the likelihoods of those players being drafted at various spots. Uh, The Draft Day Predictor is a very comprehensive thing. Uh, It uses expert mock drafts, grades 
from Scouts Inc. and Team Needs as inputs to produce a range of selection outcomes for prospects in an NFL draft. And I'm very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast a man who was instrumental in the creation and development of ESPN's Draft Day Predictor. He is Brian Burke of ESPN Analytics. You can follow Brian on Twitter at BBurkeESPN. Uh, Brian is a true pioneer in the world of football analytics. Uh, Brian founded the website Advanced Football Analytics in 2006. He has local ties. He was in the Navy for 15 years. He is from Baltimore. He now resides in Virginia. And Brian has developed a number of stats that now are common in football analytics. Uh, Brian created air yards. Uh, Brian created expected points added, or EPA. Uh, Brian created win rates. Uh, Brian developed win probability for football. Uh, Brian has been instrumental in the development of ESPN's total QBR. And Brian is maybe most famous for advocating that NFL teams go for it on fourth downs for more often than teams were going for it on fourth downs years ago, uh, you know, long before going forward on fourth down became popular. Uh, Brian, great work on the ESPN Draft Day Predictor. How was it putting together this year's Draft Day Predictor? Uh, this year is, is a real challenge. So there's not a lot of consensus in terms of the inputs, like um, the, the expert mock drafts that kind of drive this and the, the player grades are kind of all over the map, especially with quarterbacks. So um, it, is a, it is a very unusual year. Yeah. So with the quarterbacks, uh, the commanders, of course, have traded for Carson Wentz. They certainly don't seem likely to take a quarterback with their number 11 overall pick in the 2022 draft. But personally, I think that they should be open to doing so if, in fact, they like any of the quarterbacks available at 11. Uh, Ron Rivera at the team's pre-draft press conference on Monday afternoon revealed that he had considered at least one of the quarterbacks in this draft as having been worthy of that number 11 overall pick. My suspicion is that that guy is the Liberty quarterback, Malik Willis. Now, Willis, per ESPN's Draft Day predictor, has a 50-plus percent chance of being available to the Commanders at 11. Uh, if Willis still is on the board at 11, should the Commanders take him? Well, if you have an opportunity to take the best quarterback available in a draft year and you don't have to trade up to do that, maybe that's a pretty good idea, even with once on the roster. Um, he, he, he probably will be available at 10 only because he's just not highly polished and, and uh, he's, he doesn't grade out as high as quarterbacks from previous seasons. Um, but there are almost it's almost a certainty that one of the top couple or two or three quarterbacks will be available at 10. So, I mean, if they fall into their lap, I would say it might be a smart thing to do. If you have to reach and uh, climb up and pay a hefty price to get that quarterback, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. The hit rate on quarterbacks in first rounds of NFL drafts remains pretty underwhelming. Uh, by my count, beginning with the 2010 draft, the hit rate is less than 40%. Now, I get that who is a hit and who is a miss can be somewhat subjective, but do you know if the hit rate on first-round quarterbacks is substantially lower than the hit rates for other positions in first rounds of NFL drafts? 
honestly, I haven't looked at that specifically in a while, but it is amazing. Good teams, fans, everybody overestimates their abilities to identify who the better players are, how to, how to rack and stack these guys. Um, it's something like, like the probability that the second quarterback taken is better than the third quarterback taken is better than the fourth and so on. It's like 55%, right? So you're, it's really, it's, it's throwing darts at a board. Um, <clears throat> you would think it'd be much higher. The ability to, you know, identify who's going to turn out to be the best. You might think that's an 80% chance. Nah, it's like 55. So that's the thing. That's why trading up is so dangerous. Yeah, and so many recent trade-ups into top fives of NFL drafts to take quarterbacks just have not worked out. There has been talk of the commanders potentially taking a quarterback in the 2022 draft on day two or day three of the draft. Uh, We know that the frequency with which non-first-round quarterbacks become franchise quarterbacks is really low. Now, of course, there is the chance that the non-first-round quarterback becomes a quality backup quarterback for you, but uh, in your opinion, is it worth it for a franchise quarterback needy team like the Commanders to take a quarterback in a non-first round? I would say yes, because the second most important player on the roster is the backup quarterback. Chances are your quarterback's going to get hurt at some point in the season, and if you're if you want to still make the playoffs, you need somebody that can hold down the fort. So, generally, I would say that's okay. I think when we talk about quarterbacks in the draft, though, when we say second round quarterback, they're really actually third round players because there's like a there's like a one round premium on just because the position is so important. So when you're you're looking at second round, why why aren't second round draft pick players? Uh, working out in the NFL as big time starters, well, it's because they're really overdrafted. They're they're truly third or fourth round players that teams kind of reach for. Um, the first round is also unique, especially for and this is especially important for quarterbacks because of that fifth year option. So you might see a a move this year, kind of like Baltimore did. So if one of those, uh, you know, Corral or or uh, Ritter, one of those guys who is still available at 32, and let's say the Lions don't want a quarterback at that point or already have one, they, that's a really kind of lucrative position to be in because they can trade out of that spot. Somebody can jump into the, the 32nd pick, get that, get the quarterback, have a fifth-year option on the quarterback. Quarterbacks are so expensive, that's why that option is really valuable. And then um, go on from there. That's what Baltimore did with Lamar. We're talking Commanders and Commanders Draft with Brian Burke of ESPN Analytics. Uh, Really interesting to look at the perceived top receivers in the 2022 draft and their percent chances of availability to the Commanders at 11 via the ESPN Draft Day predictor. Uh, With Ohio State receiver Garrett Wilson, there's a less than 10% chance that he'll be available at 11. But with Ohio State receiver Chris Olave, there's a 90-plus percent chance that he'll be available at 11. Uh, With USC receiver Drake London, there's only about a 40% chance that he'll be available at 11. But with Alabama receiver Jamison Williams, there's a 90-plus percent chance that he'll be available at 11. There's a lot of variance regarding who the top receiver in the draft is. What do you make of the variance in the percent chances of availability for these receivers to the commanders at 11? I think... 
if I if I wanted a wide receiver and I'm the Commanders and uh, London is available at 11, I, I think that's good value. But if he's off the board and you're looking at uh, Williams or Olave, you could move down 10 spots and, and still, and that would probably be the, the right value for them. And so you're probably reaching a little bit. And I, I would guarantee it, at least one of those two is going to be on the board um, several picks down the line. So that you Either Williams or Olave will be definitely available at 11. Um, 40% chance I'm, I'm seeing for, for London. So if London's there, yeah. If, if he's not and, and you can't move down, then maybe something like Kyle Hamilton might be the right choice. Yeah, I wanted to get your take on the Notre Dame safety, Kyle Hamilton, from the perspective of positional value. So he is a safety. We know that safeties, generally speaking, are being devalued in today's NFL, although a safety who is great in pass coverage is quite valuable in today's NFL. Um, There's mixed opinion on whether Kyle Hamilton will be more of a box safety in the NFL or will be a safety who can excel against the pass in the NFL. But to you, how much should positional value factor in with what a team does with its first round pick? Like, we know that positional value matters, but should a team just value more getting a guy who it feels like can be great? Or do you think positional value really should override even potential greatness at a less than very valuable position? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a talent evaluator. I don't know exactly how great of a prospect he is, but I know. I know Scout Sink has him the fourth best player. So if you if he falls to 11, that's pretty good value, probably even with the devaluation of the the position. If, if he's so, it's probably safeties are very scheme dependent. Um, but if he's a kind of generational talent, he might be the type of person you, you scheme around. You build, you know, you might build a, a you know, single high safety, post safety type of scheme around him. The commander's general manager, Martin Mayhew, at the team's pre-draft press conference on Monday afternoon said, quote, we have six picks now. I doubt we'll end this draft with those same six picks. I believe there will be some movement End quote. Uh, Regarding the famous NFL draft trade chart that is attributed to former Dallas Cowboys head coach and former Miami Dolphins head coach Jimmy Johnson, but that actually was developed by former Cowboys minority owner Mike McCoy, who actually passed away this past October. uh, How accurate, how valid, how relevant is that chart in 2022? Okay, well, that chart was, I mean, it was fairly visionary for its time. What it did was it tried to put a a value on a player um, or on a pick number based on what has happened in the past, how teams have behaved. So it's not trying to say um, the, uh, I'm sorry, my uh, Google assistant is is firing off. Oh, that's okay. (laughs) So so the... um, so it's, it, it was tracking what has happened. It's not making like a normative value judgment about what should happen. Uh, so, you know, for its day, it was accurate. Now, today, teams are getting smarter. Uh, so the, the values aren't as steep as they once were. But for some reason, teams don't really have a another common language. They all have their own kind of draft charts about what, how, picks should be valued, but the teams don't have a common chart yet where they can all agree on what these values should be and, and how the how pick trades should work. So until we have this kind of common, you know, new uh, chart, they're still kind of gravitating towards this towards the Johnson chart. 
Yeah, the NFL draft trade chart is a fascinating thing to look at. And like you said, it was so ahead of its time. Uh, Generally speaking, would you say that NFL teams overvalue draft picks or undervalue draft picks? This has come up again with the success of the Los Angeles Rams in the extent to which the Rams have just like, you know, punted on first round picks for years now in order to acquire talent, you know, the Rams being a win now team. Uh, But what do you think is the proper way for an NFL team in 2022 to be viewing the value of draft picks? That is a really interesting question. I think it's... um I, th- I think it's kind of cyclical, right? Just like, uh, remember like the old Moneyball days. So everybody was chasing power and all the teams were signing, um, signing free agents and paying players according to their power numbers. And the A's came along and recognized actually on-base percentage is uh, super important. It's undervalued. You, you would rather have power, but because it was such a bargain, you were getting, um, uh, you were getting better players. You could construct a team that way. So right now with draft picks, I think it's the same way. I think everybody, uh, all, all the 31 other teams besides the Rams are like, hey, we're, we're on the draft pick bandwagon. And the Rams recognize that uh, teams are, you know, we're going to chase the thing that everybody else undervalues, which is kind of the, the known quantity free agent player. And they're getting them in, in tr- terms of trades and free agent signings. And the other thing is they are, they have a, they're winners, right? They're, they're winning every year. So their first round pick, second round pick are always at the bottom of the draft, right? Their, their first round pick was a second round pick several years ago, just because of the number of teams in the league has changed. So they're, they're, um, they recognize that their first round picks aren't as valuable as the average team's first round draft pick. So they're, they're more, they're happier to, to do away with them. Yeah, there's no one way to handle picks in NFL drafts. And if you as a team do really well with non-first-round picks, then you can afford to trade away first-round picks. And the Rams have had a good bit of success with non-first-round picks. So I want to get your take on our commander's new starting quarterback, Carson Wentz. From this perspective, his mixed statistical profile, uh, you have played a major role in the development of ESPN's total QBR. Uh, Carson Wentz finished the 2021 regular season at number nine among all qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in total QBR at 54.7. Now, he also had a number of mediocre to poor stats for the 2021 regular season. Uh, Wentz's yards per pass attempt was just 6.91. His overall grade for Pro Football Focus was just 70.9. Now, one of the really valuable aspects of analytics is that they can reveal things about players that we might not otherwise see and can reveal value in players that we might not otherwise see. Given that total QBR ranking for Wentz, uh, was he better in the 2021 regular season than he is given credit for? Or is that total QBR ranking misleading? Because Wentz ranking ninth in the NFL in total QBR for the 2021 regular season, I think is surprising to a lot of people. Yeah, it surprised me when you mentioned it earlier. Um, the I, It really is a mystery, and uh, his QBR... So what QBR really tries to do is... Um, uh, identify context, take into account the context of the game. Is, is it trash time? Uh, is it a third down, a must have third down, or is it, it, you know, is it garbage time? Right. And then it, it also tries to separate the contribution of the, um, 
of the individual player from the rest of his team. So it's trying to it's trying to isolate that individual player's performance within the context of the team and game situation. And in, in some cases, it doesn't do that very well, right? It, on, on average, it might do that, but in certain cases, it may not do that very well. So, it, you know, if 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 he's um, if a team's passing offense is really strong in yards after catch or something like that, yeah, it devalues the quarterback, right? It, it tries to isolate that away from him. But um, there are some flaws with QBR. One of the things it doesn't do well is it, <clears throat> when we originally built it, we said, like, if the quarterback is under duress, that is a function of the play of the offensive line or the, the defensive front. And so, it, but what we've learned since is really most of the time quarterbacks are bringing that on themselves. So this is probably a flaw in the original design of QBR, where we, we made the assumption that when a quarterback is pressured, no matter how long into the play, four or five seconds after the snap, we're still kind of blaming the offensive line for that. And when in reality, once this kind of guy that holds onto the ball too long, he invites that pressure onto himself. So what QBR is actually doing is giving a bonus to quarterbacks who kind of invite that pressure you know they kind of, because they're just making we were saying you get a bonus because this was a tougher play for you to make because of that pressure but since then we've kind of learned that's not the case a lot of the times quarterbacks invite that pressure on themselves so i think that's what that's wentz's problem all right so the carson wentz total qbr ranking for the 2021 regular season is more inflated than the ranking is reflective of the season that wentz had Yes, and it's a tough admission for me to make. I'm responsible for for that statistic. But it, back in you know 12 years ago when it was originally um, made, you know we made a lot of advances in in, in analytics since then. And and uh, yeah, if we had to go back to the drawing board, that would be the first thing I fix. Well, what's also notable with Carson Wentz in the 2021 regular season is something that you came up with, expected points added, EPA. So EPA is the foundation, essentially, for total QBR. If you just look at Wentz's EPA for the 2021 regular season, the EPA isn't that good, but the total QBR is good. So I guess that that would speak to what you were just talking about. Right. Yeah. We have, we have a, we have play charters that, that watch all the plays and they just check a box, you know, is this, was he under duress at the throw or not? And, um, you know, one of the things we've developed since then is the win rates. So we, we have the player tracking data and we can, we can, we can do a pretty darn good job isolating the play, the offensive linemen and the pass rushers. Um, so we, we would probably use that. We, we understand now just how important, uh, the time, the time into the play is. So if you're holding the, onto the ball past 2.5, 3.0 seconds, that's, that's mostly on the quarterback. It can be because your receivers aren't getting open. I can be because of the, your, your deep, the defense is very good. The coverage is good, but most of the time it's on the shoulders of the quarterback. So like sacks and pressures and, and hits and those sorts of things, those are, those are quarterback stats. We, you know, 10, 15 years ago, we kind of always assumed that uh, those were offensive. Oh man, we need our offensive line stinks. I, like I think 32 out of 32 fan bases all think their offensive line. Is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but really it's, um, really it's on the shoulders of the quarterback. And I think, you know, Carson Wentz might be the pusher child for that effect. You know, it's funny you bring up the perceptions of NFL teams, offensive lines by fans, because a perception of Washington's offensive line had been 
that it wasn't very good. But in each of the last two regular seasons, Washington's offensive line has been very good in terms of something else that you came up with, the ESPN win rates. Uh, Washington's offensive line for the 2021 regular season, it was number nine in the NFL in team pass block win rate per ESPN at 63%. And Washington's offensive line for the 2021 regular season, it was number one in the NFL in team run block win rate per ESPN at 75%. Uh, To me, the win rates have become kind of like the gold standard for evaluating offensive line play. I mean, I know that you're going to be, you know, partial to win rates, but is that how you view it? That like, if you're trying to find a one-stop shop for figuring out, okay, is my team's offensive line good or not? The ESPN win rate stats are what to look at. Yeah, there's some differences. This is a very interesting conversation just by itself. So what I do with the win rates is I benchmark, um, against pro football focuses grades. And um, there are some really interesting differences. Um, yeah, the commanders last year or, or the football team last year, they, they, I, I watched a lot of their run plays because they were just off the charts with the run blocking. And I really didn't, you know, nobody else was kind of singing, singing that same tune. So I really looked at a lot of film. I, th- I think maybe, you know, maybe win rates overestimated them a little bit uh, just by some sort of quirk in their scheme or something like that. But one of the things that's, that I've learned is that like human scout graders are really impressed by sort of like physicality, sort of like style points. The other thing is they tend to, a lot of plays get graded as like just neutral. They don't put a grade on it at all. We Win rates puts a grade, a win or a loss on every single block. And so if you're a, a superstar player and <clears throat> you're you, you have a loss, that might be put in the neutral column. And if you're you know if you have a if you're a no name player and you have a, an effective block, that might fall into the neutral column as well. So there's some biases there. There's style points. All win rate win rates just doesn't know who the player is. Doesn't know it, it's completely unbiased. It's it is ruthlessly objective. Um, and so there are some advantages of win rates. I think that the human grader can take into account, well, like the center stepped on the guard's foot and that's why he lost his block or there's a twist on this play. There's nothing he could do or something like that. So in any one particular kind of play, if you were to grade out a play, I would favor kind of the human scout grader, but in aggregate, I I might go with the win rates. I want to go back to total QBR. Uh, The total QBRs for the 2021 regular season were way down as compared to the total QBRs for the 2020 regular season. I mentioned Carson Wentz for the 2021 regular season, ranking ninth among qualified NFL quarterbacks with a total QBR of 54.7. 54.7 for the 2020 regular season would have ranked just 20th among qualified NFL quarterbacks. Why were the total QBRs for this past season so down? Yeah, we, we always adjust that for, we try to make 50, like average. And 100 is best possible. Zero would be the worst possible game. And so what we do is we adjust that using the previous season's uh, means or averages. Now, the the weird thing was that that previous season, um, there was, uh, you know, the, the, the that would have been the 2020 season. That would have been the COVID year. That was very unusual. So you had uh, no one was calling holding. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and the other thing that is the defenses didn't suffer from uh, being on the road with the crowd noise. And so it was a very unusual year. So that, I think that's, so we're, what we do every, every year is right before the next season. So sometime in August, we will re we will update and re sort of scale uh, 2021 with actual 2021 averages. So that that's why it's sort of suppressed. One more for you. Uh, I said this, and I do very much believe this. You are a pioneer in football analytics. So I'm curious, when you look at the state of analytics in the NFL, the proliferation of analytics, the acceptance of analytics, the application of analytics, what is that state? Uh, is the NFL still way behind Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NHL? Or is the NFL about where it should be? I think the NFL is putting as much resources and as much focus and trying to get the most out of analytics as any other sport now, except maybe Major League Baseball. Um, <clears throat> I think the, the, but because of like fundamental reasons, uh, because of the nature of the sport, you're never going to get as much out of it um, in terms of, in terms of extracting value. It's just, uh, football is just this, you know, chaos of 22 interdependent, you know, players on the field and baseball is more of a kind of serial, you know, one at a time, a pitcher batter kind of matchup. And it's much easier analyzed. Um, player tracking data is really, that's really made a big difference. That's, that's the future. Um, the real future is when we start getting player tracking data uh, at the college level, and then you can take all the, the all the same, same models, all the, the win rate models, all the, you know, the, uh, CPOE, catch probability over expected, things like that. You can you can apply that the same exact models to uh, to college. And now this you know the uh, prospect you know scouting um, uh, aspect of everything is going to radically change. And you're going to be able to find diamonds in the rough at, at you know schools that aren't getting scouted. And you're going to be able to you know find you know. Uh, players that, that really pop off the board who are super effective but maybe don't have the you know athletic traits that um, uh, that teams are looking for things like that exciting to think about uh, Brian Burke of ESPN analytics you can follow Brian on Twitter at B Burke ESPN uh, Brian of a ton of respect for what you have done what you continue to do uh, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast and all the best to you thanks Al good luck on Thursday thank you yeah we need it Well, one of the unforgettable mantras of the Nationals' 2019 World Series championship season was stay in the fight. Uh, you surely remember that, right? Stay in the fight. And when the Nats won the World Series in 2019, the mantra became fight finished because the fight was finished. Well, uh, the Nats' offense right now has no fight. Uh, the Nats on Wednesday night lost their seventh consecutive game, a 2-1 loss to the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park in game two of a three-game series. Uh, the Nats this season now are just 6-14, and 14, and their hitting has been atrocious. Uh, the Nats during this seven-game losing streak have scored a total of just 14 runs. The Nats now this season, over 20 games, have scored a total of just 65 runs. Uh, that works out to just 3.25 runs per game. And if you take out the Nats having scored 11 runs in one of the Nats games this season, an 11-2 win 
at the Atlanta Braves on April 11th. The Nats, in their other 19 games this season, have totaled just 54 runs. 54 runs over 19 games works out to just 2.84 runs per game. Uh, Now, the Nats on Wednesday night did face a really good starting pitcher in the Marlins, Pablo Lopez. Uh, Lopez has been incredible so far this season. Four starts, an ERA of 0.39. Uh, But the Nats' offense this season has been bad against a variety of pitchers. So you can't just write off the Nats' offensive struggles on Wednesday night to having faced Pablo Lopez. And yes, offense is down across Major League Baseball so far this season. And there is a lot of talk about the nature of the actual baseballs in MLB this season. But still, the Nats, relative to other teams in MLB, have been really bad offensively. The Nats now this season, over their 20 games, have a team batting average of just 220, a team on base percentage of just 290, and a team slugging percentage of just 315. Not good. Uh, Juan Soto on Wednesday night. He is an Nats starting right fielder and number two batter. Went one for four with a single, but no walks. Uh, Another walkless game here for Soto. Soto now has drawn just two walks over his last five games. Uh, Soto is at his best when he's drawing walks, when he's taking his walks. Uh, He has not been drawing walks lately. He has not been taking his walks lately. Uh, Now, the struggles of the man who had been the Nats' regular number three batter, Nelson Cruz, likely have had something to do with this. You know, Juan Soto is the Nats' every game number two batter. Cruz had been the Nats' every game number three batter. But that changed on Wednesday night. Nats manager, Davey Martinez on Wednesday night had Nelson Cruz as the Nats number four batter for the first time in this 2022 regular season. Uh, Cruz had been the Nats number three batter in each of his previous 18 games in this 2022 regular season. But on Wednesday night, Cruz was the Nats number four batter. And Josh Bell, who has been the Nats usual number four batter this season, was the Nats number three batter batting behind Soto. Uh, Cruz on Wednesday night as the Nats starting DH went 0 for 3 with an RBI walk, uh, Cruz in the Nats' one-run eighth drew a bases-loaded two-out six-pitch walk to cut the Nats' deficit to 2-1. But consider this one-run eighth for the Nats. So the Nats did forge a two-out rally, but the Nats put together this two-out rally on two Marlins errors and two walks, okay? That was the Nats' rally. The rally wasn't predicated on a homer or a double or anything like that. No, the rally was based on two Marlins errors and two walks. Uh, That tells you all that you need to know about the state of the Nats offense right now. Uh, But when it comes to Nelson Cruz, and we've talked about this, he needs to get going and he has yet to get going this season. Uh, Cruz now in this 2022 regular season has an OPS of just 509. Uh, Here was Davey Martinez during his postgame press conference on Wednesday night on why he flip-flopped Nelson Cruz and Josh Bell in the lineup. I just, I just want to do something different. Um, it, you know, it, it worked out, you know, <laughs> one inning. Um, but I want to see, you know, uh, you know, Nelly's so used to driving in runs. I want to see if we can get somebody else on for him, you know, make him feel a little bit like he's going to drive in some runs. Um, and that's all of it. Uh, you know, I know uh, um, Josh is swinging about well. Yachty's swinging about well. You know, so we, we, we kind of tried to sandwich them and, you know, put them in the middle. All right. And then here was Davey Martinez during his postgame press conference on Wednesday night on Nelson Cruz struggling so far this season. 
Yeah, he's, I mean, he hit one ball hard today. I mean, you know, I still think, I still think that you know, he, he, once he gets in a groove, he's gonna, you know, he's gonna light up and and, and catch fire. Um, he just, you know, he's another one that he, you know he's got. I think he's got to get the ball up a little bit, uh, get get more pitches in the strike zone, and he's fouling off good pitches that he should hit. He knows that. Um, so you know, he, but you know, I, I know he's a good hitter, and he's gonna start hitting. Yeah, Nelson Cruz has been a good hitter, and I agree with Davey Martinez. Nelson Cruz will start hitting this season, but he sure as heck isn't hitting right now. Uh, But back to Juan Soto. So he on Wednesday night uh, had a really bad defensive moment. Uh, Soto committed a throwing error in the Marlins' one-run fifth on a totally unnecessary throw to first base on a Jacob Stallings two-out single to right field. Uh, Just a bad decision and then a bad throw by Soto. And in a one-run loss, an error like that really stands out. Uh, Josh Bell on Wednesday night committed an error. Uh, Bell, as the Nats starting first baseman in the top of the six, committed a missed catch error on a pickoff attempt by reliever Steve Ciszek. Now, you could argue that Ciszek should have been charged with a throwing error, but Bell got credited with the missed catch error. Uh, Bell, as the Nats' number three batter on Wednesday night, 0 for 2, with two walks. Uh, Bell in the bottom of the first drew a two-out six-pitch walk despite having been down to the count at 1.12, and Bell in the Nats' one-run eighth drew a two-out five-pitch walk. Uh, Now, I mentioned the Nats' two errors on Wednesday night. We also had some sloppiness on Wednesday night in terms of running by the Nats. Yes, running. Uh, Michael Franco did not run hard on a hit that he clearly thought was going to be a home run, but uh, ended up just being a single. Uh, That was not good. Uh, Michael Franco on Wednesday night was the Nats starting third baseman and number eight batter. He went two for four with two singles. Uh, Franco in the bottom of the third had a leadoff opposite field single to right center field. And Franco in the bottom of the ninth had a two out single off the left field wall on an 0-2 pitch. Uh, So good piece of hitting by Franco to get a hit uh, on an 0-2 pitch. But he ends up with a single off a ball that goes off the wall. Uh, Franco very clearly thought that he had hit a home run. He was not running particularly hard, and the ball ended up going off the wall. Now, a moment like that is one of the moments that people will point to and say, hey, there's something up with the baseballs being used in MLB this season. These balls aren't carrying. That's why offense is down across the majors. Maybe there is something to the baseballs. I don't know. I know this. When you hit a ball and you think it's going to be a home run, but obviously aren't positive, that it's going to be a home run, run hard, okay? Especially when you're Michael Franco, all right? Uh, Michael Franco was signed by the Nats to a minor league contract, all right? Uh, He's trying to reestablish himself as a major league player. I don't know, maybe you should run hard in game 20 for your team that isn't very good in a season. Just a thought. Uh, But bottom line, the Nats just are not hitting. Uh, The Nats on Wednesday night had just one run, just five hits, a double and four singles. I mean, the Nats are just not hitting for any power. Uh, the Nats did work four walks, but the Nats went 0 for 2 with runners in scoring position. Yeah, just two at-bats with runners in scoring position the entire game. Uh, Yadiel Hernandez hit the double for the Nats. Uh, he was an Nats starting left fielder and number five batter. Yadiel went one for four. He in the bottom of the fourth had a two-out opposite field double to left field. But Lane Thomas on Wednesday night as an at starting center fielder and number seven batter, 0 for 4 with four strikeouts. Lucius Fox on Wednesday night was an at starting shortstop and number nine batter as the struggling Alcides Escobar 
did not start. And uh, Fox on Wednesday night, 0 for 4, dropping him to 0 for 18 with no walks at the major league level in the 2022 regular season. 0 for 18 with no walks. Uh, Lucius Fox, he's the guy who vomited on the field this past Sunday afternoon, and uh, he is 0 for 18 with no walks. Uh, the Nats' starting pitcher on Wednesday night was Eric Fetty. Uh, Fetty in this 2-1 loss to the Marlins in Nationals Park allowed two runs in four and two-thirds innings. He really wasn't that bad. He just didn't last for very long. Uh, Fetty gave up just three hits, a homer and two singles. The homer came in the top of the third, a two-out solo homer by Jesus Aguilar to left center field for a one nothing Marlins lead. Uh, Fetty in the top of the fifth was charged with a run off giving up a two-out single to Jacob Stallings, followed by issuing a two-out five-pitch walk of Jazz Chisholm Jr. Uh, Fetty did issue three walks in the game, but he also recorded five strikeouts. But the walks, the strikeouts, and also the frequency with which Marlins batters fouled off pitches from Fetty resulted in him throwing a lot of pitches, 91 pitches in his four and two-thirds innings. So he ended up lasting for just the four and two-thirds innings. You know, Eric Fetty in his career has done well against the Marlins. Fetty entered this game with a career ERA of 143 over seven regular season starts against the Marlins. He overall, I thought, did pretty well on Wednesday night, but he didn't last long, and he had a hard time putting guys away. He did have five strikeouts, but like I said, the Marlins found off a lot of pitches in this game. Uh, Fetty was coming off having gotten rocked in his previous start. Uh, Fetty in the 11-2 loss to the Arizona Diamondbacks at Nationals Park the previous Wednesday night, April 20th, allowed seven runs, six earned in three into third innings. But you take a step back, Eric Fetty now in his 2022 regular season over his four starts has been solid in three of the four starts. He's not lasting long in games, but the run prevention in three of the four starts has been good. Uh, Fetty in a 4-2 win over the New York Mets at Nationals Park on April 10th, allowed two runs in five innings. He had five strikeouts. Fetty in a 7-2 win at the Pittsburgh Pirates on April 15th, allowed two runs in five innings with six strikeouts. So in his first, second, and fourth starts of this 2022 regular season, Fetty has been at least solid. The start number three was the start uh, that was problematic uh, for Eric Fetty. But, you know, at this point with Eric Fetty, I mean, I, I think this is who he is. I, I, you know, I, I don't know that we're anymore in this phase of his career in which you say, well, he needs to learn from this. He is developing. He is growing. Like, I think with Eric Fetty, this kind of is who he is. You know, if you can get two runs and five innings from Eric Fetty, you take that with what he is. Uh, the Nats took Eric Fetty in the first round of the 2014 draft. It's 2022. Um, you know, I know some guys take time, but I don't think Eric Fetty is ever going to become the certainly ace or like number two starter in a rotation that he was drafted to be. Like at this point with Fetty, he's a number five starter, maybe a number four starter in a good season. And, you know, he's an option for you, especially if you are a starting, pitching, starving team as the Nats are. But beyond that, I mean, I just think that this is kind of what you have to expect from Eric Fetty. And if you get your two runs in five innings, you take that. Well, on Wednesday night, you got two runs in four and two-thirds innings. Uh, the Nats bullpen on Wednesday night was good. Five Nats relievers officially combined for four to third scoreless innings. I say officially because Andres Machado did walk in an inherited runner. Uh, Machado came into the game in the top of the fifth with runners on first and second, two outs, and the Nats down one nothing. Machado issued a two-out six-pitch walk of Jesus Aguilar to load the bases, issued a two-out five-pitch bases loaded walk 
of Jorge Soler for a 2-0 Marlins lead. It did then strike out Jesus Sanchez on four pitches for the third out. But the rest of the evening from the Nats bullpen was good. Uh, Steve Ciszek tossed a scoreless top of the six despite issuing a one-out hit-by-pitch of Garrett Cooper. Erasmo Ramirez tossed a scoreless top of the seventh. Tanner Rainey tossed a perfect top of the eighth. Kyle Finnegan tossed a perfect top of the ninth. Uh, game three for the Nats against the Marlins at Nationals Park will be on Thursday afternoon at 105. Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. So hide the women and children. Corbin is pitching on Thursday afternoon. Uh, Patrick Corbin over four starts in this 2022 regular season has an ERA of 1120. Uh, now, Davey Martinez did not officially announce that Corbin would be starting this game until Wednesday. So I don't know that Corbin's spot in the Nats rotation is on the line on Thursday afternoon, but I do think that that is possible. Well, like the Nationals, the Orioles this season are a bad team that isn't hitting, although there is one Oriole who very much is hitting. Uh, The O's on Wednesday night lost their third consecutive game, a 5-2 loss at the New York Yankees in game two of a three-game series. The O's this season now are just 6-12. This was another bad game overall for the O's offensively. Just two runs, just five hits, just one walk. Uh, The O's through 18 games this season, have a team OPS of just 599. Uh, The Orioles' team slugging percentage is nearly the same as the team's on-base percentage, uh, 301 versus 298. Uh, That's not how slugging percentage versus on-base percentage is supposed to work. Your slugging percentage is supposed to be a lot higher than your on-base percentage, but uh, that is not the case for the O's right now. However, an Oriole who is locked in right now is Anthony Santander. Uh, Do you know that Anthony Santander has reached base in every Orioles game so far this season? Yeah, the guy has begun his 2022 regular season having reached base in every game for his team in the season. And now he's starting to hit for some power. Uh, Santander on Wednesday night was the Orioles starting DH and number three batter. He had a two out, two run homer in the top of the sixth to tie the game at two. Uh, This off what he did on Tuesday night. Uh, Santander in the Orioles' 12-8 loss at the Yankees on Tuesday night as the Orioles starting right fielder and number two batter had a one out first pitch, three run homer in the top of the sixth and a walk. So Santander has been money in the tops of sixth innings so far in this series at the Yankees. Uh, Santander over 18 games this season has an on-base percentage of 421, which is outstanding. Uh, This is Santander's age 27 season. He did not have a very good 2021 season. He really has never been a consistently good hitter, but he does have talent. He does have stretches in which he is quite good. He was very good in the COVID-shortened 2020 regular season, and he has been good so far this season from a perspective of getting on base. Uh, Another positive for the O's on Wednesday night was their starting pitcher, Tyler Wells. Uh, Wells, in this 5-2 loss at the Yankees on Wednesday night, allowed two runs in five innings. Uh, He had four strikeouts versus no walks. He gave up just three hits, a homer, and two singles. Uh, He threw 72 pitches. Uh, Wells Gave up a two-out, two-run homer to John Carlos Stanton in the bottom of the first, but then tossed a scoreless second, third, fourth, 
and fifth innings. Tyler Wells on Wednesday night retired 13 of the final 14 batters he faced. It was great to see that. Uh, O's manager, Brandon Hyde, during his postgame session with reporters on Wednesday night on Tyler Wells. Yeah, I mean, I talked to him. I, I texted him this morning and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you out there a little longer. Um, you know, go get it today. And, and uh, he did. He did. He, you know, he gave up the, the homer early. You know, Stanton pulls <laughs> fastball down and away. There's about three guys on the planet that can do that. Um, and then was great after that. So happy with his performance. Yeah, Tyler Wells was good on Wednesday night. So this outing was Wells' fourth start of the 2022 regular season. Remember, Tyler Wells is transitioning from being a reliever to being a starter. The idea had been for him to participate in tandem starts. Uh, Tandem starts are basically when the starting pitcher is going into a game knowing that he's only going to be going for, say, four innings. Well, you haven't really seen much in the way of actual tandem starts with Tyler Wells so far this season. He's just kind of building up his workload and uh, building up his performances here. Uh, Wells in the Orioles' 8-0 loss at the Tampa Bay Rays on April 10th lasted for just one and two-thirds innings. He gave up four runs in the one and two-thirds innings. Uh, But Wells in a 5-2 loss to the New York Yankees at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on April 16th tossed four scoreless innings. Wells in a 6-4 loss at the Oakland A's Last Thursday, allowed two runs and two into third innings, so that was bad. But Wells was quite good on Wednesday night. Uh, So we'll see here. Uh, This is Tyler Wells' age 27 season. Uh, The O selected Wells from the Minnesota Twins in December 2020 in the 2020 Rule 5 draft. He was a reliever for the Orioles. Uh, He last regular season, 57 innings as a reliever, ERA of 411, but also 10.3 strikeouts for nine innings. I mean, look, the O's need all of the starting pitching options that the O's can get. So if they can get something out of Tyler Wells here in this transition from reliever to starter, so be it. I mean, so many failed Orioles starters have had to become relievers. How about a reliever who ends up becoming a starter for the O's? That would be nice. Uh, Well, speaking of starting pitchers for the O's, uh, also on Wednesday was the news that John Means did undergo his Tommy John surgery on his left elbow. Uh, Means is out for the rest of this season and likely is out for at least part of next season. Uh, Here was O's Executive Vice President and General Manager Mike Elias in a virtual press conference on Wednesday. Just want to announce that this morning, uh, John Means underwent successful surgery on his left ulnar collateral ligament, also known as Tommy John surgery, performed by Dr. Keith Meister. In Dallas, uh, John's been discharged from the hospital. Um, he's going to start his uh, rehabilitation immediately under the direction of our medical staff, and everything went great. And um, you know, obviously, there's a a, a large um, historical record of uh, pitchers getting this surgery. And um, while we expect him to obviously miss the rest of 2022, we do think he'll be back at some point in 2023. And if it's History and John's uh, work ethic is any guide. He'll be uh, back as good as ever, if not better than ever. And we really look forward to having him back on the team next year. All right. Uh, As for when exactly John Means might be back pitching for the O's, here was more from Mike Elias in his virtual press conference on Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, uh, if I um, prognosticate about his exact return. I'm just going off of statistics and history, nothing specific to the situation. 
but I think it's fair to say that on the early end, these are kind of 12 months post-op, uh, but really it can take 18 months and, um, you know, probably it's somewhere in the middle. We'll just take it as it comes. Like I said, I think um, he's a very hard worker. He's got everything else going for him. We have uh, a first-rate surgeon and rehab staff. Um, the timing, while not great, it definitely is not the worst possible timing. So very optimistic that we get him back hopefully in the first half of 2023, but you gotta, you gotta leave some um, allowances for case by case specifics, but I'm extremely confident he'll be back uh, and pitching a good portion of the 2023 season. Yeah. So this season had been John means age 29 season. He is under team control through the 2024 season. So his next full season for the O's almost certainly won't be until his final season of team control. You would think that that significantly impacts the possibility of the O's trading John Means. Um, Now, I don't know how intent the O's had been on trading Means, but I always thought that the O's should have been open to the possibility of trading Means. And uh, if the O's had been looking to trade Means, uh, those plans certainly have been altered uh, with him having to undergo the Tommy John surgery. Game three for the O's at the Yankees will be on Thursday afternoon at 105. Bruce Zimmerman, who has been the Orioles' best starting pitcher so far this season, will be the Orioles' starting pitcher on Thursday afternoon. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show. Episode 303 will feature in-depth reaction to and analysis of whatever the Commanders do on Thursday night in the first round of the 2022 NFL Draft. The possibilities are many. The importance of this pick is huge for a variety of reasons. Uh, Whatever happens Whatever goes down, we will be together to talk about it early Friday morning. But you can, of course, listen whenever you like. Uh, Also on Friday's show, I'll talk Capitals as they on Thursday night will play the penultimate game of their regular season. The Caps will be at the New York Islanders Thursday night at 7. Hopefully, the Caps will play better than they did in that hideous 4-1 loss to the Islanders at Capital One Arena on Tuesday night. Remember, the Caps still have a shot of beating out the Pittsburgh Penguins for third in the Metropolitan Division. The Caps have two regular season games left. The Penguins have one regular season game left. Uh, And I, on Friday's show, will talk Nationals and Orioles as each team has an afternoon game on Thursday, trying to avoid a three-game sweep. Uh, Game three for the Nats against the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park will be on Thursday afternoon at 105. Game three for the O's at the New York Yankees will be on Thursday afternoon at 105. Have a great rest of your Thursday. Enjoy the first round of the NFL Draft, and I'll talk to you on Friday. Stop, Bears. Stop, Bears.